HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Samuel Adams, Brewing the American Dream. Hear stories from their inspiring entrepreneurs on Let's Talk About Food, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know everybody is listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is in your kitchen. We are going to be talking about composting appliances for the home, a composting machine for your kitchen. If a lot of that sounds a little bit confusing, like composting, what exactly is that? We will get into that later. It's good for the environment. It reduces waste, all kinds of good stuff. It's kind of stinky, so having machines do it for you is very helpful. But before we get to that, we are going to find out why we're getting to that. And today, you know, we talk a lot on this show about new things, new companies, things, beta testing, ideas of companies and products that may not even quite exist that are just being vetted for the idea. We have companies that have been in business for a year, two years. If a company comes on and it's survived for five years, like some of the founders we've had on this show, we've been on the air since 2015. So we have a few years, but it's only six. Today, we're going to talk about Good housekeeping. Do you know what that is? And I don't mean like having good skills at home and keeping your place neat and tidy. I mean the publication, the magazine, Good Housekeeping. Have you heard of the Good Housekeeping seal? And in this day and age when magazines are just sputtering out and dying and leaving the print world and maybe existing somewhere on the internet, It's kind of amazing to have something that's still going and still going strong. They happen to have an institute, which is where they look at appliances, things, products. They test them to see if they are doing what they say they're supposed to do. They test recipes, all kinds of things. The institute's been around since 1900. Also amazing. It's like 122 years. And they invented the seal, the Good Housekeeping Seal, in 1905. And the Good Housekeeping Seal means... It does what it's supposed to do, which 
sounds like a small thing, but actually is a pretty big thing. So today we have on the show Nicole Papantonio, who is the director of Kitchen Appliances and Culinary Innovation Lab, which is the Institute in its current version. Every year in October, they publish a big fat guide to lots of different things, appliances, trends, all of that. What's interesting? What's new? What's tried and true? What actually works? And in the process of testing different things, they are taking a look at composting appliances for your kitchen at home, which is great. So first, let's say good morning, Nicole. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And let's first talk about good housekeeping. And let's, I just, again, so many magazines that we know and love and have read are gone. It's just simply vanished into thin air or are vanishing before our eyes. The print editions are getting smaller and smaller and smaller until poof, they become, you know, two-dimensional versions of themselves online or on an app. What do you think the staying power is of good housekeeping? Well, I feel really lucky working here. Everyone on the team is so passionate about what they do and love it so much. And it really comes through in the stories that we write and the products that we test and the way we test it. And in the Institute, we follow very specific protocols for testing, but also think of the home consumer and how they would use these products at home. And every single person on this team really wants to do the best they can and deliver the absolute, like the most accurate results possible. And I think that's really what makes our story stand out and readers see the value in it. Uh, We work with companies. So we have this ongoing conversation about technology and innovation, and it's a really wonderful relationship um, on both sides. So before you came to work at Good Housekeeping at the Institute, you were familiar with the title growing up. It was something that you knew about that was in the back of your mind. It's not, I mean, it's certainly not like a flashy Beyonce on the cover, (laughs) break, break newsstand records type of publication. It's very kind of tried and true. It's there. Um, It's almost like news or a newspaper or something like that. Absolutely. Um, What was your experience with it before you came to work there? I always knew I wanted to work in magazines. And when I started interning um, at Ladies Home Journal, actually, I realized I wanted to be a food editor. And my path led me to work for a small kitchen appliance company where I actually started in their test kitchen, helping develop products and developing recipes for those products. And Good Housekeeping was on my desk. And there was actually a page that we called Best of the Test. And they were highlighting blenders that month. And just from that page, I realized, hey, this is something I should keep my eyes on. And this is something that I should see if and when they ever have a job opportunity. And it was very serendipitous as I, how I got here. Um, so it was on the brain and definitely in my world. And then all of a sudden I started working here. So, uh, kismet perhaps meant to be. Yes, absolutely. Well, certainly, you know, there's so many products out there now. There's so many new things, old things, things you've never heard of. Amazon unto itself has just unleashed thousands upon tens of thousands of products into the world, which look like something you know, maybe look like a brand you know, maybe aren't, maybe that's okay. 
you know, certainly with the pandemic, there has been a, a real break and issue in the global supply chain. So people have been forced in many instances to try a different brand or a new thing or a new version of something they might have been used to. And on the one hand, that's a great path to discovery. And there are many um, local or new companies that have come to light and come to life because of that. There's also just some, you know, kind of random janky ripoff, you know, kind of <laughs> looks like it, but doesn't work like it. Not good for you. Maybe not well made stuff out there as well. So, you know, the more and more choice we have, it, it gets harder and harder to sift through things sometimes. And especially in this time, when so many people just order things online or from their phone or from an app, we don't get to see something in real life until it gets to our house. And when it comes to appliances and things like that, well, actually anything, um, I can maybe be challenging. So I find online reviews really helpful. Um, and Good Housekeeping is certainly one a website that I go to because I, in my mind, I think it's relatively um, unbiased. I also like the wire cutter. I feel like that's unbiased. Um, Consumer Reports, I feel like, is unbiased. I'm not 100% sure if these things are true. Um, it's my personal opinion, um, but I sort of triangulate amongst those. You know, I find that a lot of the editorial review sites online tend to be copies of other editorial review sites, and you sort of churn through exactly the same information, sometimes verbatim, just presented in a different manner. Um, so it's interesting to to get a sense of the longevity of something. I mean, I don't think something lasts for 157 years unless it's working well <laughs> and unless people um, support it. I, I agree. And I will tell you that every story that we write is really based on our expertise and decades and decades worth of research documents and testing documents that we still have access to. And a lot of it still is relevant because that toaster that people love is still available on the shelves now. So if we tested it a few years ago, it's still very relevant today. So tell us about the process, specifically what the process is with evaluating appliances generally at the Institute, the work that you're doing now, getting ready for the big October reveal. Sure. So as we spoke about, I run our Kitchen Appliances and Innovation Lab. And what that means is that I am very immersed in the kitchen appliances world and I'm constantly meeting with new brands and learning about new products and seeing what's out there. So I really can see what trends are coming. And on top of that, we have many, many, many stories online where we can see what people are clicking on, what they want to know about, what they're searching for. And that really drives a lot of what we do because we want to give our readers the best experience possible so for example, if I am updating our air fryer story, we know air fryers are still very popular. So we're looking to see what types of air fryers are people looking for. We even go to these retailer sites like Amazon, see what people are buying, buying and then we decide what we want to test. So at that point, we call in the samples and we perform the same test on every product. So this way we can get a sense of how they compare to each other. And one really great thing about product testing is when you actually have the product in your hand and see how it feels, you can write about it that much better. You can get a feel for the buttons. You can get a feel for how the screen responds. And then of course, performance. 
and how well, for example, is it air frying? How quickly is it doing it? What is the overall experience like? And the home cook is always who's on our mind. So it has to be easy. And there's things that we know that people aren't reading user guides. So is it intuitive? And those are all the data points that we collect to ultimately find out which is our best overall. But the one other thing that stands that we do a little bit differently is we only write about the products that we recommend. So if you're on our site, we recommend it and we stand by it. And we also recommend products for different types of people. Somebody might have a smaller kitchen. Someone might have a bigger budget. Someone might want a very specific task. So we really try to give a lot of options for all the readers so they can find what they're looking for. Interesting thing that you said is that, you know, people don't read instruction guides. So how Mm -hmm. intuitive is it? Fascinating. Really, really (laughs) fascinating. (laughs) I don't think I don't think appliances and things come with user guides anymore. I mean, famously, the iPhone, you open up the box and it's just like, turn it on. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And you have to go, if you really want the user guide nowadays, you have to go online and find it and download it. (laughs) Right. So in the appliance world, they do still come with most appliances. Um, There are some non-electric tools that you'll get a much more condensed version. But of course, the QR codes and being led to a website where the information is digitized is definitely becoming more popular. Is there something that's been tested the entire time? Is there a piece of kitchen equipment appliance that has always been in the kitchen for the past 157 years? Do you know what the first things were that were tested? That's a really good question. And that's something I'll have to ask my predecessors and my other team members. But we test everything from small appliances to large appliances. So we have refrigerators, we test ranges, toaster ovens, toasters. So think a ton of cookware. So think back to anything in your kitchen, we have a ton of testing data on it. You know, the history of technology, that would be a great episode and even perhaps series to do. Um, what what was the technology back in 1865, back in, the, mm-hmm. back in 1900 when the Institute was founded? What was the technology that was considered cutting edge that was being tested? It's a fascinating thing to think about. So you're working today for the October 2022 list and... You know, in your experience coming into, you know, putting together, uh, you know, the categories for this year, insofar as you can speak about trends, what have you seen drop off? What's on the rise? Um, I know composting, we'll get to it in a bit, um, is something new, relatively new. What, what, What are the trends that you're seeing just sort of generally? So you're referring to our Kitchen Gear Awards that will be announcing the winners in October and will be in our November issue. And basically what that is, is brands submit products that they want us to get our hands on and they think are really innovative and timeless and high performing that they want us to test and they want to see does it stand out amongst the crowd. So a lot of the items that we're seeing this year are a lot of multifunctional products. So it's not just a toaster oven anymore. It air fries as well. And some of them also steam. So there's a lot of different functionings happening in one appliance. And it's not just a pan that you're using to sear a steak or make eggs, but you can steam with it now and they come with different tools. So you have everything at the ready. Then that's one of the biggest trends. And then on top of that, 
we are hosting our coffee awards. So we saw a really big spike during the pandemic where people were making a ton more coffee at home. They were really leaning into specialty coffee. So we are seeing a lot of espresso makers and they're all different price points and trying to appeal to all different consumers from your beginners to your very advanced. So how can people do it at home easily, but still get those quality results that they'll get at the coffee shop, for example? Definitely when people could not go to their favorite coffee shop and could not Mm -hmm. get out to their favorite restaurant or bar, recreating some of those things at home um, became a challenge, maybe a form of entertainment and ultimately maybe a new habit or a new morning ritual. I have a general question, though, and without giving away um, any of the big reveal for the fall, you know, when you talk about something that, you know, look, it's an air fryer, it's a crock pot, it's a slow cooker, it can steam, bake, fry. It makes me think of the all-in-one printers (laughs) where you had, it could scan, it could print, it could do photos, it could make copies. And while Mm -hmm. it was a great idea and they were very compact and did all these things, ultimately, I think they've kind of gone a little by the wayside because one, people don't print as much anymore and don't need any paper or something tactile, but they were never that great. They always composited a bunch of things, but each thing was not as good as if it was functioning in an independent machine. Is that the case for these multi-purpose things or are they closer to being similar or with the frying pan? Is it just a matter of it's a frying pan, but then as soon as you put like a grill rack, some water and a lid on it, then it's a steamer. So it's closer to the natural function of what the pan is. So I think in the past, that is something that people were concerned about, not getting all functions to be working as well as they should be if they were standalone items. But what's really amazing to me right now is all these functions, they do really work. And that is definitely something we're testing for because again, back to this air fryer toaster oven, which is still very much trending and people are still very much buying. That's something important to me. I don't want to have to have an extra air fryer to air fry if my toaster oven says it can do that. So when we are grading and testing these items, we're looking at each of these features and we're assigning them a score and the winners will float to the top, especially just in terms of the algorithms that we use to calculate the scores um, and ultimately how they perform on everything. It still sounds funny to me. It sounds almost like a Saturday Night Live skit, you know, it does all these (laughs) things. Um, And I know it's real and I know people have limited counter space, um, but it still gives me, gives me a little gives me a little chuckle, a chortle. And there's definitely a learning curve with these items. And you can almost think of basically Instant Pot when they started coming out. Pressure cookers have been around for a really, really long time. But what Instant Pot did was simplified it and explained to people that they can do all these different things in it. So people are still learning how to use them and they can do more and more. And also took a little bit of the edge of like explosion, off of people because the old school pressure cookers from, you know, generations ago, you know, the pressure cooker of your, your, your grandma's pressure Mm -hmm. cooker kind of idea. Like those things are a little scary. And, you know, you do hear the story of, you know, you didn't put the lid on well enough and then it just like explodes because of the pressure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in the process of um, doing all this, uh, 
Any big surprises over your tenure there thus far? Like what's the biggest surprise that you've seen? The biggest trend, the thing that you thought was going to be great that went away? Um, something really unexpected that people love or a thing you thought wasn't going to work but did? Like what are your what are your high points of surprises? Sure. These um, a, a lot of what we just spoke about, that these multifunctional appliances are truly working really well on all the different settings that they say they can do. And on top of it, we're seeing them being used with higher quality materials. Um, for a long time, I think there was this need to just get appliances into people's hands for a lower price point, but that comes at a cost because it's not as great quality. But people are surely thinking about the materials that they're using and how long the product will last. And that is really what stands out. Will this product last in your kitchen? How long? Well, maybe 157 years. <laughs> I'd be very surprised <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> but Do you have any really old archival appliances in your kitchen, in the storage, in the pantry at the Institute? Is there any, like, what's the oldest piece of equipment you guys have? I, so we try to rotate items out as much as we can, mostly to give new items attention. And also, we don't have a ton of space. So if you were to come in here, you would see products everywhere. But the items that our mainstays that we go to a lot are our stand mixers, our food processors, and some blenders. And those are the ones that we continue to use. And it really speaks to those products in terms of how the long standards. they last. Right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, just out of curiosity, I know you are an urbanite and you live in the city and you don't have a lot of kitchen counter space. <laughs> what are the appliances that are on your counter? And you don't have to name brands. You can just name categories no, if we don't want you to, unless you feel strongly about endorsing something. <laughs> I've created counter space by adding kitchen cards so I can have room for my blender, for a personal blender. And that's the luxury of this job where I can test different products. So if I would have just my blender, I would... I also have two coffee makers in my kitchen. I have a two bunch of different coffee makers. Is one drip, <laughs> yeah. one espresso? Exactly. Okay. And you'll actually find that um, that's very common amongst most, most households where people have their drip machine, but then they have a quicker way of doing it or a more elevated way with like a French press or a pour over if they're looking for something really special. Right. We have, um, we have um, a unbelievable espresso machine and it only makes espresso and then we have mm -hmm. mocha pot for the stove and french press and we do have a pour over but we almost never use it <laughs> exactly they all have their space and their time for to shine that's so why you have I a separate coffee list coming up <laughs> right okay. exactly and i have um a ton of cutting boards that i do rotate through Every couple of days that there are at least five of them that are being used, um, something I always reach for, a slew of knives, just having a good chef's knife on hand is really important. And my cookware, um, I, my Dutch oven sits on my stove and is always available for me to use. So do you have a toaster? I do. I have a toaster oven. That's toaster an air fryer. Oven. <laughs> toaster oven, air fryer. So you have one of those multifunction machines mm -hmm. okay we don't have a toaster we to make toast in a, in a frying pan on the stove mm -hmm. no toaster no microwave no crock pot no hot pot no pressure cooker mm -hmm. none of that we do have a Vitamix we mm -hmm. have a 
very serious juicer. What else do we have that plugs in? Oh, we have a vacuum pack machine. We have an immersion mm-hmm. circulator. <laughs> and they're really important. They all yeah. help your experience and make it easier. And that's yeah, what I, I would... Mean, you can tell what's important to people by what they make room mm-hmm. for in their lives. And the kitchen is, is definitely included in that. So tell us how you came to be looking at composting appliances. So one composting machine had applied for our awards and there's another on the market that we had our eyes on. We started testing and they're very innovative and they're the first of their kind. And really helping consumers lean into this composting world and making it a bit easier and more manageable, especially like in the city environment. More manageable and easier to manage is all about what appliances and technology are supposed to do. (laughs) Um, We are going to take a quick break and find out who is sponsoring this show. What our podcast is supposed to do is share stories, share information, give a platform to people so they can tell you what's happening in their corner of the world. And then it goes out online and you can listen to it. You can download it. You can take it with you. You can share it with someone. You can save it for later. And Heritage Radio hasn't been around for 157 years, but we've been on the air since 2009. And sponsors like this one help us keep the mics hot and the podcast on the air. Stay with us. I'm Louisa Kasdan, host of Let's Talk About Food. I recently hosted an exciting live podcast event in Boston and interviewed incredible women entrepreneurs who have received small business coaching from the Samuel Adams Brewing the American Dream program. When I was applying to law school and I got in, I said, you know what, I'm still young, let me pivot and go into the food industry. And really follow my passion. I was kind of scared. It was a new thing to me. It was like, hey, I don't want me in the newspaper. I just want to be in my room in my house. (laughs) So that was when I'm like, okay, now that I'm in the local newspaper, I better not disappoint the people that, you know, that have this belief in me. And on the days that you're tired or you feel defeated, just keep going. And 10 people might tell you no, but that doesn't mean that's your end result. You just have to keep going. Hear their stories on Let's Talk About Food, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again to Samuel Adams Brewing the American Dream for supporting this episode. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection might be in your kitchen, on your kitchen counter. We are talking to Nicole Papantonio, and she is the Director of Kitchen Appliances and Culinary Innovation Lab at Good Housekeeping. You know Good Housekeeping. The Institute was founded in 1900. They have the seal. They test things and let you know if it works the way it's supposed to. If you want to take a look, you can find them online at goodhousekeeping.com or follow them on social media at goodhousekeeping. We are currently talking about composting tech for your kitchen. What does that mean? Well, composting has been around forever and a day. Composting has been around since, you know, the first tree shed leaves and they fell in the forest and the leaves 
you know, biodegraded and went back into the earth. That's the essence of what composting is. Composting is natural plant organic matter decomposing and going back into the soil. Fertilizer, growth, recycling, all of that, the natural cycle of things. Why does that matter if it biodegrades naturally in our home kitchen garbage, in the planet garbage, in our civic civil garbage? Well, when organic matter decomposes, it lets off gas. And if it's buried underground in a big trash pile, then that gas can get caught and create a problem. Whereas when it goes back into the soil, a lot of those things are absorbed and recycled in a natural way that keeps everything kind of in balance. We produce so much garbage, so much trash, so much waste. We're so focused on trying to reduce it. And this is one way to do that. But it's a little bit of a daunting challenge to take all of your organic waste material, you know, all your kitchen kitchen scraps and things like that, and let them biodegrade somewhere and then put it back into the soil. If you live on a farm or in a house with a backyard or some outdoor space, that works okay. It's still kind of messy. It might be a little stinky. You still have to think about it, but you have the space for it. If you live in an urban apartment and you have a tiny space and it's an enclosed space, it's really a challenge to think about composting. I lived in an apartment building in San Francisco where composting was the rule. You had to put out your recycling and you also had to compost. And they gave you these little composting trash cans with little composting uh, trash bags that were green and biodegradable and you had to put all your waste in and then go downstairs and there was a bin for cardboard and a bin for plastic and bottles and a bin for composting. So composting machines, how do these work? Well, they're actually really, really fascinating. And I'm going to let Nicole describe sort of the basics of what composting tech looks like right now. Because um, it's really interesting. And if you are very dedicated to getting closer and closer to a zero waste lifestyle, and if you truly want to recycle, um, recycling is a little bit more than just, you know, taking your magazines down to the curb. So Nicole, tell us about these composting machines. So typically when you are composting at home, you have some sort of bucket with some sort of lid and that is trying to control the smells and what's happening inside, keep pests away. These composting machines that we've been testing are about a foot long, I would say. So they're not too small. You do need to dedicate some counter space to them, but they have a bucket inside and the buckets vary in size from about two liters to three liters. And the buckets are a very thick material and they're equipped with essentially what's a blade. It's not a sharp blade, but it's a grinder. And you fill up this bucket, you pop on the lid, and basically it heats the items that you put inside and grinds them. So this process takes place over several hours. There's different sensors inside of the machine that lets it know when it's done. And a lot of it is around humidity and it reduces the size of your waste and essentially turns it into dirt. So the one composter composting machine, there's the Lomi, where it has several different cycles. So you can do it on an Eco Express 
cycle, which is a couple of hours. And then there's a lonely approved cycle where you can actually put in biodegradable plastics that um, there's a list on their website about items that they say you can put into this machine. And then there's also a grow cycle, which runs for the longest amount of time and is basically the intention of it is that you can take that dirt and put it into your soil, either your indoor plants or your outdoor plants. So when you say, I'm going to walk back through all the different, um, unpack your description a little bit. When you say it's about a foot long and, and it has a lid and a bucket inside, is it about the size of a microwave? Is that a good analogy? I would say smaller than that. Maybe the smaller microwaves, like the ones that are under cubic foot. Okay. So, and does it need to go on the counter or can it go on the floor or a shelf? I, a shelf could probably work, but it does produce heat. So you don't want to, um, on a counter, it's more easily to pull it away from the wall and from surrounding items around it because you don't want any appliance too close to anything else, basically, when it's running. So on a counter is probably the most ideal location for it. And what happens when the cycle, well, first of all, you put it, you put the product, you put your waste inside. What is considered organic waste for this purpose? Is it everything that is like food or plant? Can you not put bones in? What about eggshells? All really good questions. Um, So anything you would put in your normal compost can go into this machine. And some of those items are basically things that you're eating. Um, In general, you want to avoid greasy foods. And there are some items like walnuts that actually when they break down, release toxins for plants. So you don't want to use those. And you don't really want to use pits for similar reasons. And normally you can't or it's not advised to put meat scraps into your compost because they decay and they rot and they attract pests. But since this item is actually essentially dehydrating the item and mulching it down, you can put meat scraps in there. And in terms of hard items, you don't want to strain the machine. So you should avoid hard bones. Um, one the Lomi has an entire list actually on their website and the Vitamix actually does as well of items that they approve. So small fish bones could be used, for example, um, but you wouldn't want to put in a hard chicken bone. So still some rules to follow, still some mm-hmm. things to be aware of, even when you're composting organic material. I didn't know that about walnuts that walnuts became mm-hmm. toxic and poisonous. That's interesting. I knew that, um, is it apricot pits are arsenic or something like that? Or they have the almond smell. And anyway, I, I think I, I, th- I think I read that in a novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the EPA um, website is actually a really great sor- resource also to see what you can and shouldn't compost. So good things to follow if you do want to compost. It's not a free-for-all. It's not just dump everything in there. You still have to be attentive and mindful about what you're doing. The thing that these two uh, pieces of technology have in common is that they're sort of drying and dehydrating, whereas Mm -hmm. normally in the bin bucket natural composting heap type of composting process, Things break down in a sort of like wet way and takes a little bit longer and maybe gets a little stinky. So the heating dehydrating piece is eliminating that. So they actually 
still, you are still putting wet items in there for And when I say wet, I mean, um, different foods that have moisture in them. So think of any fruit, for example, there is some water content in there that is needed and helps the breaking down process. Um, the Lomi actually comes with little tablets that help boost the composting cycle. And you mix that with water to, again, help the whole process. So you do still need that little bit of water and moisture. Interesting. And this is the first time you've seen some of these composting machines. Mm-hmm. The Vitamix has come out, came out a few years ago. Um, and it's been in our kitchen now for, I would say, a year or so in the labs. And the Lomi is pretty new to market also. Interesting idea. Do you anticipate that this is probably going to be a category that's going to grow? I hope so. I think um, one of the pain points right now is the price. So it doesn't make it accessible to absolutely everyone. And there's still a lot of education that needs to be done around this for people to even understand why they should have this in their kitchen. So there might be a possibility, but I think it'll take some time. Uh, What are the price point? What's the price point range on these? The full price of the Lomi is $5.99. And then I'm seeing the Vitamix on Amazon right now for $3.99. And just in comparison, um, in the terms of like the coffee with coffee machines, because that's a good comparison in a place where obviously people are willing to spend money, as we've seen. Um, what's the range of a good coffee machine today? That varies so much, but I think you could get a good coffee machine around the 100 to $150 mark. Um, and that is something that would get really hot and probably have a few different functions and have a more digitized experience. So it basically has more bells and whistles for that price point. And people perceive coffee as something that is almost essential. Right. Definitely and- not an add-on. or good to have. Most people who have coffee machines and drink coffee on a daily basis consider coffee an essential part of their daily nutrition plan. Mm -hmm. And I would even consider, compare this to the blender where people invest a ton of money in a really good blender because they see the benefits of it. So what's the, what's the price point on a good blender these days, just to put the composter in the, in the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say around 350 is common for people to splurge on a blender. Mm -hmm. Although most people are probably just making smoothies with them, right? Yes. And again, those are one of those items that they can do a lot more. (laughs) So the person who is probably buying that more expensive blender is probably using it to make their soups and also their nut butters, which was a really big crave, a craze for a long time. So I would think the person who's buying that, investing in it, is probably using it for a little more. Okay, so one fifty, maybe three fifty, and then into four and five hundred at the top end. Okay, so that gives us a good range. Composting is interesting. So once we have done our nice composting at home, what happens when the cycle is over? What do, what what do, when we open up the lid and the cycle's over? What do we see in the bin? So from my testing, I've been seeing that the Lomi creates more of this dirt. It's more of this pulverized mulch. And it's, um, they actually advise that you can keep it in there for up to three cycles, which actually makes it even more nourishing for the soil because it's being processed even more. So it's more of this dirt. And then with the Vitamix, it's um, 
similar situation where you could leave it in there and it's more straw like. And I haven't done a side by side test on them yet in terms of like putting in the same exact products and timing at the same exact time and calculating it. So the mulch could look different because of the different products that I put in there. But I think the neatest thing about this is that it's breaking down your waste. So then you can just either transfer it to another compost bucket and then throw it away or put it into your soil all at once um, versus basically putting in your garbage pail and just having bags and bags and bags of garbage to throw out every week. The other option is taking it to a place locally Mm -hmm. that is interested in having your compost. I know that in New York City, in you know, the five boroughs where we have the green market, there is an organization called Grow NYC, and they are at the green markets and they are collecting composting and scraps. Um, they have a schedule. If you're going to the green market anyway to do some of your shopping, you can always just grab your compost and bring it and, you know, give it to them and they'll take it away and, you know, reappropriate it back into the world. Um, so there's lots of, you know, different options. And I think, you know, as Nicole said at the top of the show, technology of any kind, and specifically the kitchen kind, is to make things easier and more effective and more efficient um, to make the cooking, meal-making process at home better, maybe more fun, um, easier, get you to the product that you want to eat and put down at your table, the dish you want to have for dinner for yourself and your family, you know, some of the first technology way, way, way back in time was, you know, a knife and a fork or a bowl. A bowl was some of the first kitchen technology Um, because bowls didn't exist. Somebody had the idea for it and made it. And that was the first tech. So it's a great idea. We spend a lot of time on this show talking about new crypto, digital, app tech, the future, Jetsons, Tomorrowland. Um, But technology is always with us. And sometimes the best tech is the old tech. Nicole, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's uh, fascinating to hear about what people are using, what's available, what you want to make space for on your kitchen counter. We'll have to uh, check back with you this fall when the list comes out and maybe um, check back in with you. I would love to learn more about the original Institute back in 1900 and what the what a snapshot of the cutting edge of kitchen technology looked like back then. It's fascinating to think about. Um, if you are listening and want to check these things out for yourself, and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of what Nicole talked about in terms of the things she likes and uses and what she's learned, you could probably discover for yourself at goodhousekeeping.com. Follow them on social media at goodhousekeeping. If you like Tech Bites, come back and see us. If you love it, go to your favorite podcasting platform. Leave us leave us an amazing five-star review. Subscribe to it. It'll help more people discover the show. It'll bubble up in more feeds and maybe give somebody a little piece of surprise and delight when they click and listen for the first time. If you think this show and other shows on the Heritage Radio Network platform are important, do you think it's important? to shine a light on stories, to give people a podium, to talk about, to share their experiences, to record them, to archive them, and make them available for anyone in the world to listen to. If you think that's important, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash membership, become a member. 
you can do that for as much as you spent on a cup of coffee today. How much was that? $1.50, $2, $7? Did you get the extra special single origin pour mocha something? If you make that donation, it will help us keep the lights on and the mics hot and make more radio. I'm Jennifer Leutze, and this is Tech Bites. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.